Welcome to episode 20 of the Hike or Die Outdoor Adventure Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my good mate, Craig. And, Craig, what would you say if I told you I've been keeping secrets from you? I'm not surprised, man, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should I be surprised? Uh, no, that's okay. No? You play the music and I'll tell you what they are. <laughs> Thank you, as always, to our regular podcast sponsors for their support. Topo Maps Plus, a phone application that allows you to view topographical maps, track your location, even without cell phone coverage. Go deeper into the backcountry. Rios Floating Polarized Sunglasses with 100% UV protection for the love of water. Bluey Merino, Australian super fine merino wool base, mid and top layer garments. Where our story ends, yours is just beginning. Caribbee, one of Australia's leading backpack, travel and outdoor brands. They supply us with dry bags, waterproof day packs and expedition bags. Supporting our sponsors allows us to continue to produce this podcast. So please jump online and check out what they have to offer. Welcome everybody to episode 20 Craig, we made, uh, well, we didn't just make double digits, but we made, uh, well, 20. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 20 is a big number for us. That's good, man. Yeah. Uh, it's not the episode we had planned, but we'll get to that in a minute. Hey, what I wanted to say was I've been um, accumulating all of these kind of interesting news stories literally for months and months and months mm. and because we don't want every episode to be five hours long i just kind of pick the best and cull the rest and kind of do that but an interesting thing happened today so we did mention on the last podcast that we had secured uh claire dunn author of my year without matches as a guest for the podcast and that is 100 percent true but when I was speaking to her today over text, she had a bit of a cold mm. and, uh, yeah, was definitely not in uh, a place to be talking on a podcast for a couple of hours. So we've um, secured another record date uh, in the coming weeks. So we still plan on getting that to you before the end of the year. But what it opened up was an opportunity for us either to cancel recording tonight or do something a little different that... Craig and I had actually talked about, um, coincidentally, um, on our last catch-up, and that is uh, for me to just regurgitate tons and tons of stories that I've actually been, uh, yeah, just stockpiling for you. How so, does that sound? Sounds all right, mate, because I, <laughs> I genuinely haven't heard any of these stories, so I'm looking forward to, to seeing what you've what you got piled up there. Yeah, I deliberately do that to Craig. <laughs> Uh, and it's not just because I, I like seeing his reaction. I find that that's a small um, amusement I have in my life. Yeah. But it is, uh, look, I just think it makes for better conversation when yeah. when um, when we're just kind of uh, shooting the breeze. Yeah, certainly no surprises that you're keeping secrets from me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. So, yeah, you caught me off guard. Um, hey, just on that note, a quick update 
with what Craig and I have been up to, um, it might get a little confusing and I might actually blur the lines of podcast magic, but um, this is episode 20. Episode 19 will have already aired uh, by the time you're listening to this, but I just wanted to let you know that it hasn't actually been released yet. It's confusing, isn't it? (laughs) But let's just say Craig and I have had a lot on our plate, and I mean a lot. Um, There's been, uh, yeah, look, just things happening with our families that we've had to tend to and concentrate on. And um, yeah, I just haven't been in the right frame of mind to, to dedicate the time that it needed to get episode 19 out before this record. So yeah, I do apologize for that. But the reason I mention it is because uh, I guess if you listen to episode 19 and then you comment on episode 19, give us some feedback, all that sort of stuff, we love that. Mm. You're not going to hear it in this episode because we haven't released 19 yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's sort of, kind it's a bit confusing. It's, it's like, um, it's kind of like Inception. It's kind of like um, Back to the Future <laughs> at the same time, especially um, my hair. Uh, and so, yeah, anyway, I just wanted to be honest. I said to Craig before this record, I said, look, I just want to explain to people how things work. And I hope I haven't spoiled any of the magic there for you. We spoiled a bit of the magic for me, mate. Yeah, Craig actually didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand, understand how it worked. <laughs> I'm like, what, why would we have what? to? What? Hang on. Oh, oh right. I thought this might... was live. You always told me this was live. <laughs> I get the best out of him when I tell him that. Uh, all right, all right, all right. All that's done. Um, how are you, mate? <laughs> good, buddy. Really good. That's good. Good yeah. to be here. Good to be chatting here. I think, as you said, we've had some pretty heavy weeks. Uh, I've been... Uh, running up and down the coast of the hospital for my old man, and he's been not too well. So mm. we are thinking of him, and yeah, absolutely, we are. Yeah, so looking forward to you know, hopefully, we can transport me into the outdoors with this podcast and some of our chats today, man. It'll be awesome. Yeah, no, it's good, man. And I think, um, uh, without going into too much detail, <clears throat> had a sort of uh, similar thing on my side of the fence as well mm. uh, a month ago. Um, the loss of someone very close and, and I'm not, I'm not putting in that out there for sympathy. I'm just putting that out there to explain why, uh, again, we do, uh, sometimes struggle with the timing of these episodes, um, due to that thing called life and work and all the other rubbish that we have to do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, let's, let's get our heads in the outdoor cause that's, that's going to make us feel pretty good. Yeah. Hey, just before we were, oh, hang on, are you finished? Is that is that everything? I've just kind of cut you off there. Yeah, mate, I haven't been uh, getting out too much lately because we haven't, it hasn't been that long since we were last together. So no, that's exactly right. Hasn't yeah. been much going on, but um, thanks for asking. What about yourself? Have you been like, you know, sh- you know shooting bows or um, what have you been doing? little bit, but same sort of thing. It, it hasn't been that long since we were in here, so covered a lot of that in the last episode, but I have made a fairly significant adjustment to my training and uh, it's early days, so I'm yet to see if it pays off, but I was getting ready to get back into um, trail running and when I say that, the kind of longer distances again, but I was reading about 
this um have you heard of cortisol it's uh it's kind of like cortisone. a no 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 <laughs> that that's the first thing i i thought it was the same thing myself no it's cortisol um it's a, a chemical that your body releases um it, it actually releases it every day uh, more so in the morning and then periodically throughout the day i won't go into too much detail now because I'll probably end up talking about it later because there's a, a news article that touches on that. Mm. But basically, once you get to uh, our ripe old ages, if you're training beyond <clears throat> a certain uh, duration, you're putting your body under an amount of stress uh, that causes you to... Um, the, the cortisol levels to jump up again. Now, that doesn't sound like such a bad thing, but well, what it actually does is um, it... Uh, now, I'm going to get this wrong because that's what I'm known for, getting it wrong. But it takes, um, I think, glu glucose or something, and it um, changes it into fat. So it just does something really weird because of the stress. And so... I just start stockpiling this. Now, it's not such a big deal when you're in your 20s or even your 30s, you can get away with it. But once uh, you start getting to, you know, old people like you or whatever, you, you can really like what those, by stressing your body out, you're forcing this cortisol to to come out and do some work, which I don't know. So what I'm going to do, and I, I guess in a nutshell, I'm shortening my... They're still intense workouts, but I'm shortening the duration of them and to sort of sub 30 minutes. And yeah, as I say, early days, seen no results yet, except I, I am feeling pretty strong at the moment. Something I've got to look forward to when I get <clears throat> old, eh? Yeah, when you get there, mate, let me know. So what are you saying that you are trying to uh, change to limit the cortisol? Yeah, so it effect. naturally occurs pretty highly in the mornings. So you're just having shorter exercise, you're exercising less. I'm also <laughs> switching to exercising in the mornings because okay. I used to get home from work when I had a full-time job and I would go for a run at 7 p.m. and run for an hour and a half, do like 15 kilometers. Yeah. And so I'm causing a massive spike late in the evening of cortisol that should never be there. And, uh, okay. yeah, it's, 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 like I said, it's easier when you're young, doesn't matter so much, but, um, look, it's interesting. Uh, don't, don't take my word for it. Do your own research, but I just like to try all these things and put it out there. And if someone else gets something out of it, good, but the kettlebells have come out and I've been blasting them and my goodness, are my Glutamus maximus is sore. <laughs> <laughs> Again. Again. Jeez. For other reasons. Different. Hey, uh, also, just off air, I was talking to Craig about the Alone series, which is, uh, it airs on the History Channel. Yeah. And Craig said you'd never really seen <laughs> you, it. You and I was shocked. Hook me up, mate. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, it's it's a show... Uh, put on by the History Channel. And I, I think the original first season, 10, I'll call them contestants because it is a competition. 
Uh, they're allowed to take 10 items each, so things like axes and a tarp and a uh, pot for boiling water and whatever else they choose is their 10 items, fishing line, stuff like that. Um, and from memory, the first episode was Vancouver Island and maybe even the second episode, but after that, sorry, season, but after that they started dropping them at um, more remote locations around the, the globe and it's the competition can go for up to a year and you basically just see who can last the longest. Um, you don't start with any food or water. You don't start with any shelter. You just basically get dropped off and that's it. Hmm. So do they get dropped into the same area, the <laughs> 10 of them? Well, oh, How many people? 10, yeah, yeah. 10, 10. So it's um, when you look at, they'll always sort of show you a map and each person's roughly about, 10 miles away oh, from okay. each other, which so is significant. Don't run into each other. Too. No, no, no. They, they never have. But what they'll you... also do is they'll put physical things between contestants. So they'll put a contestant where there's kind of um, impenetrable cliffs at one side a few miles away, and then they'll put another contestant over the other side of that. So they just never have the time or energy or even the need to kind of go that distance. Yeah, because yeah. I imagine there'd be an element of hunting or something to gather food and stuff. Yep, yep, all those things. there'd be a risk that they may encounter the other contestants. Yeah, exactly. But when you see the sort of, when you see the sort of terrain uh, that these guys are in, especially Vancouver Island, it's horrific. Wouldn't there be some advantage to your particular location? You know, obviously not, not all going to have fresh water. They're not, not the same amount of it. And No, they're, they're pretty good. Like they, they must spend, uh, I did watch a bit of information on, on, um, it might've been a making of or something right? where they spend a lot of time, um, doing recon missions and scouting these locations and they're all, you know, you look at the different locations and they're pretty damn similar, mate. Like they all have fresh running water stream within sort of, um, mm. you know, coming out of the rainforest down to the, they'll all kind of put people on the edge of a stream. Yeah, right. Uh, so everyone's got instant fresh water. Everyone has a little, um, you know, in the case of Vancouver Island and Patagonia, they've got their own uh, mm. beachfront section. Uh, very, very, very similar vegetation yeah, it's it's um okay. as close as you can get. Yep. I you know, I'd get pretty pissed off if you got dropped off with all the banana trees, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, you would be. Cuz I'd, I'd be fat as a fool I got on bananas yeah. laughing my head off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> they have so many banana trees in Canada as well. <laughs> <laughs> Native. Uh All right. Now this is going to get a bit wacky because we don't have a single subject to cover this evening. Uh, I'm going to jump straight to a couple of other segments and get rid of them before we hit the news and immerse ourselves in mm-hmm. countless, countless interesting articles. Hey, something interesting. I was talking to... Uh, the div, oh, he's, he's, I'm sorry, I don't know his actual position. <laughs> he works for Tovo Maps Plus, which is one of our sponsors. But I don't know, do you get those update emails as well? Yeah, there was Where, something big lately. It, yeah. yeah, there was. One of the really cool things they've introduced recently, 
and I was talking to him about it on a um, you know on a video call just last week. Right. Is they you now can do uh, finger tracing on the screen and oh, yeah. kind of work out the distance and everything with that as well. And that, that's something that wasn't previously available. So if a trail was there, you could touch tap on the trail and you know see how long that was. And but the problem was if you got to a point and you were going off trail to join up with another trail, you could never really gauge that distance or elevation or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So that's something pretty cool that they've put in. And the second I saw that email, I thought, that's awesome. And when I was talking to him about it, I said, you know how long I've kind of wanted that? And he said, it's kind of the same thing. It came from, because they're both avid hikers, the... um uh, the guys that are developing and releasing this. And it just came from a necessity for them as well. They got kind of jacked off with the same uh, things that we do and they put in the work and fixed it. So Right, so instead of just like dropping a pin where you want to go, you can actually trace with your finger on the screen yeah, exactly. where you want, where you think you might where head. Where you think you might head, yeah. And it'll calculate the distance of yeah that. i believe that's exactly how it works i've been mucking around with it in the app but i've not been outdoors yet to actually you know trial it in the field mm-hmm. but that'll obviously be one of the first things i do um you know like that um and like i was saying to him on the phone <laughs> my won't the places we go to that don't even have trails i'm thinking of several times you got me lost yeah 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 like Getting lost is good for you. We'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, you'll be thanking me later. Um, yeah, so the last hike I did, that the solo hike I did, was um, I basically, there was no such thing as a trail, and I just went across this ravine and all this sort of stuff. But now I could have, um, now I could actually draw that in and work out maybe how long it's going to take me and that yeah, sort right. of thing. Cool. So I thought that was pretty interesting. All right, uh, I'm going to jump straight all the way over to Tom's Magical Media Mashup. Okay. Hey, there's a word missing. Uh, it's also a mystery mashup. Anyway, uh, this is an interesting one. The I used to work with this guy for a very short amount of time. He was a freelancer at an agency I worked at. And uh, he's video editing for us, I think. His name's Noel Smith with a Y. And uh, you know, I follow him on LinkedIn. And he's um, this was years and years ago. He was starting to get in, getting into shooting and directing back then. But he's done a documentary with a guy called Fergus Grady. It's called Camino Skies. And it's about the, um, what's it called in... Uh, Camino de Santiago, which is um, the way of St. James. You know, have you ever heard of that pilgrimage? Not sure, man. Yeah, it's an 800-kilometer pilgrimage oh. that a lot of people take. Um, anyway, the, the, oh, right. they've, they've made a documentary about it. I haven't seen the documentary, but I've looked at the trailer, and it's a pretty sweet-looking trailer. follows the story of about, I think, six... Um, around about six people undertaking the journey and why they're doing it and all that sort of stuff. And it's just recently been acquired by Parkland Pictures, 
for distribution in the UK and Ireland. So mm. our fair friends over there, keep an eye out for that. Uh, it's pretty cool. Awesome. I'm going to have to um, hassle him now and make sure that he gets me a link to see it. <laughs> so you haven't seen it yet? No, I've just seen the trailer, but uh, it looks good. I'll post the trailer in the show notes. Yeah, that's cool. All right, I got one for you. Can you reckon you can pronounce that? Look on my screen there. <laughs> the wh- what? <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Could be. Three. Do you want me to try? Uh, no, 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 I don't think you should. No. Um, the reason why he's laughing is because it's it's actually French, but it's um, <laughs> it's it's obviously not pronounced as literally as it is. Uh, look, it's a little animated film and it's been doing the rounds in the kind of adventure hiking community the last couple of weeks and it's just a little animated film and it's it's pretty cool. In the article that I read, it said, um, you know, it's so funny you won't be able to not laugh and I, I kind of hate it when people say that because I'm one of those people that don't really laugh out loud at stuff, I internalize my laughing, believe it or not, mm. yeah. mostly when I'm watching things. Uh, it's just a cool little short film about an air search and rescue team going into this mountain and uh, it has no um, dialogue whatsoever, which is awesome because it would have been in French, which is useless to me. But uh, also I think they've just done a beautiful job in the animation and I tell you what, man, it got to halfway through and I did, I just burst out laughing. Like, Actually, this is gets better and better. It's worth a watch. It's just a bit of fun. It'll take, I don't know, six minutes of your life and put a smile on your face. Right, it's called horse piss. N- not, probably not. It's probably more of a French accent. A horse piste. <laughs> you know what that means? No. It means off-road. Oh, okay. Which maybe is a loose translation for kind of adventure or something like that. But yeah, well worth checking out. Sweet. Uh, but yeah, if you've got to write it down, it's H-O-R-S-P-I-S-T-E. All right. Quick shout outs today. Craig, tell me now, have you watched the latest High Court I YouTube video yet? You son of a bitch. <laughs> I don't well, know. It's people like you. Of course I have. You have not. It's people. You haven't, have you? I don't know. You haven't. It's people like you is why I don't do YouTube videos anymore. Come on. But thankfully, we have loyal subscribers who not only watched it, but said nice things. <laughs> uh, on YouTube... Um, Star Wars cosplay, which I actually thought, I'm sure I know that guy. That's my mum's cousin. Can you believe that? He sounds old, but he's not. He's our age. Oh, yeah. Uh, he says it's awesome where you live and the things you do. Um, yeah, he lives in a concrete jungle, but he can't wait to move in the next few months. But yeah, thanks, thanks, Andy, for dropping us a note, mate. Josh, we all know Josh. Oh, yeah. He's actually been a guest on the podcast before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just to recap, this is a trail running video I put up and his comment was, 
I'd have to be getting chased by a large predator to get me to do that. <laughs> um, Jodes Harrison, another uh, loyal fan of ours, who also has his own YouTube uh, channel, and you should check it out if you like, if you want to see what um, sort of things they get up to in the UK. He does a lot of hiking around uh, around the UK. Oh, yeah. It's very different to our hiking, Craig. He gets to take his dog sometimes for one. I'm yeah, pretty right. sure it's his dog. Yeah. Uh, and he gets to stop and have ice creams whenever he wants when he's walking through towns and stuff. All oh, right. Sounds pretty good, eh? <laughs> they don't melt. Well, I just wish I had. A, well, the fact that you can get an ice cream on a hike, I don't think there's been one hike we've ever done where we've stopped for ice cream. Anyway, thanks, Jodes. He said um, he was feeling it just watching you run through the this beautiful and beast of a trail. Um, and he wished me a belated happy birthday. Thanks, Jodes. Much appreciated. And then I don't even know how to pronounce this. Kia Frey. I don't know if that's his real name or just a YouTube name. But uh, he said he's a long-time YouTube subscriber and just found out that we had a podcast today. Then he got home and, as he says, bam, new video. Great content, guys. Awesome to hear an Aussie voice in the outdoor adventure world. Keep up the great work. Thanks, matey. We do appreciate it. And it's, yes, if it wasn't for people like you, it'd just be people like Craig who don't even watch my content. <laughs> <laughs> was was it just um, handheld on your um, trail run? It's my iPhone, yeah, just with my feet for seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> It was a big production, was it? Oh, it's huge. <laughs> no, uh, I didn't know you were putting anything up, man. You have to, you have to send me oh, a text. Oh, so you're not or subscribed or anything. I am. I think I am. Maybe I'm not. Oh, jeez. Maybe I'm this not. Gets more awkward by the minute. <laughs> Shortest podcast ever. Shut it down. <laughs> Damn. All right, let's go to some news. Are you ready for this? <clears throat> this is what we've all been waiting for. Yeah. All right. This is going to take you on a journey of a myriad of topics, some good, some bad, happy, sad, uh, educational, silly. No. I like a bit of silly. Yeah, right. Hang on, I'm having a drink of water. All right. Excuse me. Where do we want to start? <clears throat> Oh, I don't want to start with that one. I will get to that one. Uh, <laughs> let's start with something positive, all right? Yeah. Uh, we can come back to the dreary ones later. Okay. There's, I, I saw this article, I actually only saw this one today. It's a sunrise hiking challenge uh, to help young Hong Kong adults with mental health issues. And to experience a uh, journey from darkness to dawn. So there's an organization over there called the Mental Health Foundation. And they have this program now called Night to Light. And basically what they're trying to do is... So what it actually is, is they take participants aged between 18 and 24. And they take them on this hike into the wilderness of an evening and they stay out all night 
and they watch the sunrise. And the idea behind it is, um, no matter how dark it gets, there's always going to be light again, which is pretty cool um, ethos as well. And this this year they've actually been funded by something over there that's called Operation Santa Claus. It's like an annual fundraising event. And they're donating money to, to this mental health foundation, which will be used for hiring instructors and therapists and all sorts of hiking gear so that these um, young people can get out into the wilderness. What do you think about that, Craig? Well, I'm a bit touched by that. That sounds really special. It's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, I reckon. First thing I thought was, um, when do you need me over there to guide these people? Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty cool, eh? Um, You know, I'm usually snoring pretty loudly through the night, but... um, I do know that. You know that. But sitting up all night and watching the sunrise, you know, I haven't really done that a lot. I reckon there would be something special about that, like an amazing feeling at the end. Yes, there definitely would be. So we've travelled through the night to to mm. get to locations and got there late. We even did a podcast where we didn't arrive until, yep. I don't know, what time we get there, 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock or something, yeah, uh, and recorded into the night. But, uh, uh, yeah, so they'll travel through the night, get to their destination. They'll do activities. They're kind of open to have conversations about where they're at with their health and all that sort of thing. Um, there's therapists there if they want to have a deeper conversation. There's mm-hmm. group activities and stuff. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're getting people outdoors and yeah. hopefully getting them hooked on that. But uh, I, I just thought that was a... Oh, they'd get lost out of that, I'm sure, man. That's cool. Get a ton out of that. That is a good one to start with. I thought so. Thank you very much. Mm. Now let's go into something terrible. Terrible? Might as well get them over and done with. Oh, here's something not so terrible. Oh, this one, man. Ah, you hear that sigh? You know what that sigh means. Young hikers, the latest rescue in Tasmania. Did you read that article? I think I heard about this. Yeah, four 20-something-year-old hikers. Two males, two females. <clears throat> Mount Field National Park in Tasmania. Now, the thing is, they're in the demographic that might be listening to this, but I don't think they have because they've made fundamental mistakes, Craig. Temperatures dropped to minus four degrees. That's 25 degrees Fahrenheit. And not just that, but the weather was not ideal as well. And thankfully, they were able to raise the alarm by um, cell phone, so mobile phone, which is very, very lucky because, you know, Craig and I have been to that region of the world and you're lucky to get any reception anywhere. So they're very lucky to get that. Now what, what they kind of, look, anyone can get lost. Anyone can get caught out. You know, we've got lost, but what they didn't do was they hadn't registered their walk, um, with, with the, uh, you know, national parks and wildlife authority. Right? Yeah. So they hadn't signed into anything. They hadn't, I don't believe that they hadn't booked anything or whatever. So, and I don't think they told significant others either. So they're basically out there. And if they hadn't have been able to raise the alarm by phone, it would have been a, uh, a much more dangerous situation. 
Now that that already kind of made me think, okay, everyone else, let's take a lesson out of that and make sure the basic, basic, basic things. We've talked about this a long time ago on the podcast, Craig, and legitimately, if I go hiking in a, a, a location that Craig and I have been to before and I go there solo, I'll give him a detailed explanation of which route I'm taking to drive in, then which route I'm taking to hike in, then where I'm planning to stay the day or night, and then at what time I'll contact him on the way out. Uh, the last solo hike I did, Craig had never been there, so I contacted the landowner and I sent him a screenshot and I put markers on exactly where I was going to be on what day and at what time he should seriously consider raising the alarm. I do it out of habit. I hope I never need to use it, but someone is always going to be able to get to me within hours instead of days. And uh, I think that people who maybe don't understand how brutal nature is or how quickly she can turn other people that maybe aren't going to those lengths. Yeah, it just keeps coming up, doesn't it? <clears throat> it does just keep coming up. And to be honest, mate, I could have had another six articles like this to discuss tonight and I just thought, oh, I'm going to talk about it once and forget about it because yeah. I'm kind of sick of talking about it. The same thing pops up. What makes it more frustrating is at the end of this article, uh, this news article that says, this is the fourth time in five days search crews have rescued bushwalkers in strife in the same area. <laughs> fourth yeah. rescue in five days. Yeah. Same situation. Every every single one they listed, I won't go into detail, but every one they listed was, oh, this person got lost. Oh, this person got caught out in a storm. Oh, this person. Yeah. It's just same old story. It um, makes for great stories for the people that make it back safe. But, you know. You not just everyone's making it back safe. Not right? everyone's making it back safe is the extreme. And you don't know whether, you know, like you said, they just are in that type of person that hadn't even considered the danger of what they were doing. Yeah, look, that's probably most likely the case. And uh, I remember when I used to live uh, on the coast and I used to surf a lot. And the more you surf, I've surfed around the world. I've surfed in San Diego and also um, in Fiji. And the more you get destroyed by waves and, and caught out and... Um, in very scary situations, a couple of times my leg ropes broke, so I've lost my board and I've been floating out the back. Um, all these things happen and you see, uh, newbies kind of come into the water and the way they approach things is, is downright scary. You think, oh, are they really going to try and jump off that point where the waves are smashing in? And sure enough half the time they get swept mm. back up the rocks and mm. cuts and smash their board. Just just little things like that. But we all had to start somewhere. Yeah. I did stupid things. I've been washed up on the rocks myself. Yeah, yeah. So we all had to start somewhere. But <clears throat> when there's so many resources out there like this podcast or these articles or all that sort of stuff, I think um, even if you are 
hiker or you're any kind of adventurer and people are coming to you for advice as they do to me and as they do to you Craig I'm sure hey I want to get into hiking you know what should I do I want to do a day hike or something you know one of the first things I'm saying is tell someone where you're going make sure you know where you're going make sure you got a map like Mm -hmm. make sure you tell someone where your car's parked and just the basics that should be the first thing that people consider yeah i mean a few things come from experience and it's not, absolutely yeah it's it sounds like um almost fun policing like don't go and have fun unless you've done this first yeah but it's such a simple thing to do to be more prepared to let someone know where you are it's yeah it's just the the, the hassles that it saves the, the hassles and the expense that it saves um rescue teams and like i said before Let's let's say you've done everything correctly uh, and you have a fall. It's, you know, you're on a, a rock, slips out, you have a fall, you break your leg. It could happen to anybody. It's not your fault, okay? Now, there's the difference between getting rescued in, you know, 6 to 12 hours to 24 hours to 72 hours or to never is the difference between who have you told, how specific have you been, who have you notified, and have you stayed your course. Yeah. All those things factor in. Are you going to get extracted in three hours by a chopper Mm -hmm. or are they going to spend four days searching vague areas from where your car was parked and maybe find you in a less than ideal state? Well, hopefully the people that are listening to this have a grasp on that. But I remember even even a few years into what we were doing and I I would kind of at the last minute, kind of on my way to a trail on my own, I would remember on the and I go, Oh shit, I haven't I haven't told anyone. Yeah. And I made it a priority a few times to pull over, send that message, um and, you know, if nothing went wrong but you have to start to do that. I think it's really yeah. important, eh? And if you're somebody who's had that bestowed upon them, take it seriously. I remember on at least one occasion, Craig, you texted me and said, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be traveling to here. I'm going to be staying overnight. Yeah. And I'm going to contact you by midday the next day. And I guarantee you, man, I was looking at my phone. Checking it. Around 10 o'clock in the morning thinking, okay, he's still got two hours and I got a text from you as soon as you got in reception. Great, all good. But mate, I swear, um, I was ready to jump in the car Hmm. and come straight down if it got to midday and I hadn't heard from you. Yeah. I reckon these guys traveling in a group too, they kind of have that group mentality where you feel a bit safer too. Yeah, definitely. Oh, no, he's probably got... And yeah. under control, and he's thinking the same thing about the next person. And the other the other side of that is perhaps they all kind of think the other people may have let someone know. So you, yeah, well, you, that's true as well. And maybe that's a really great that's a really great point, mate. Maybe that's something you say as a group. Communicate is, a bit. Hey, has anybody <laughs> let anybody know where we're going just before we <laughs> leave uh, the car? You know? Yeah, just before we do that. Or yeah, yeah no, that's a good point, mate. I think I think um, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a pretty heavy topic, mate. I, yeah, I, I don't want to do any more of that. I think people are you know, just... hitting their head on the steering wheel in their car listening to this going, yeah. 
oh yeah that's terrible let let me lift the lift it up lift the mood with um the rain frog world's grumpiest frog look at it (laughs) 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 oh that's a frown if ever i've seen one it's not even um it's not even pissed off but they that's just how it looks that's its happy face it never gets happy check it out (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome i know it's just look at it's like oh i feel so i want to that's the first frog i wanted to cuddle he looks bummed oh man (laughs) oh it's so good isn't it look at him (laughs) there you go nothing more to be said i know you guys are really missing out listening uh, but <laughs> go to um <laughs> look at this guy. Oh man, it's out of this world. Oh, uh, look at this guy. Mental. Oh, it's just Grumpy so cool. Frog. It's like a potato that somebody's stuck. Sad. Dog eyes on <laughs> with little legs. Oh man, so, look at this guy! Oh, so good. Uh, uh, yeah, you, uh, you're missing out. But go, go to the. Um, Tell me more. Is this a real animal, and where does it live? Um, it, it actually doesn't um, <laughs> say. <laughs> doesn't it's say. It's made of plasticine. It's a comic. No, no, it's real. Hang on. It's, there was no real. I, I just couldn't stop laughing so much that I never actually got to any details. So that's pretty silly of me, but I, I do have an article. But in the article, they don't say anything except sad and useless. Um, that although it looks grumpy, it's not really silently judging your poor life decisions. Just how it looks, always. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's called a rain frog. Pretty cool. I'll put a link to that article in um, the show notes on hogadai.com. Yeah, check that out. I'll give you a laugh. If you don't laugh, there's something wrong with you. Just saying, just saying. Well, that lifted the mood. That was absolute gold. It's better than I thought. Uh, I'll tell you what else lifts the mood, and that is uh, 2015, this man tried to fight a grizzly in Banff National Park, and there's photos of him, you know, sizing up with the kind of boxing stance and walking towards this grizzly. Uh, I don't like to give airtime to complete idiots, And why am I mentioning this now when it happened in 2015? The good news is that um, just recently he was um, fined $4,000 for disrupting wildlife and uh, putting people in danger, that sort of stuff. That's a pretty cool ending, right? Okay. So... They they prosecuted him for the video that he released, or was no, it- no, he he didn't do a, he didn't do a video. Uh, someone else took photographs of him trying to fight this um, bear, and in the photographs you can clearly see this um, grizzlies mm. just standing there looking at him, and like the rangers and everything said, oh, he is so lucky he wasn't torn to shreds. <laughs> yeah, right. And it was just it was stupid, but it, it was. Yeah, just just pretentious. Oh, he was drunk. He was so drunk. Like, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, he was drunk, and uh, he was just being a complete fool. Like I said, I don't want to give air time to idiots, but 
the got, the only reason I did mention it was because he got just deserves. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and oh, cool. uh, yeah, hopefully he um, learns something from that. A lesson. A lesson. For for all of us. <clears throat> Speaking of lessons, we can make a lessons. I read this article quite some time ago and didn't actually ever have time to uh, talk about on the podcast. We've done an episode on Leave No Trace, haven't we? And ethics and hiking and all that sort of stuff very early on in the piece. It's worth a listen just between you and me. Uh, The Leave No Trace put out an article, it was back in September, and it said... It was called uh, Five Common Leave No Trace Misconceptions. I-, I looked at it and I thought, oh, you know, I know everything. I don't need to read this. But as I went through, I thought, actually, this is worth mentioning. Um, number one is the principles are rules. So that's a misconception. That they're meant to be guidelines and not rules so they say they should be used to help uh, build a better understanding of the potential impacts and the ways to minimize them so yeah I just thought it was pretty cool how they kind of made it they've distinguished between them being hard rules they're more like things that you should consider Mm. Uh, myth number two or misconception number two you need to practice leave no trace perfectly. Well, if you were practicing it perfectly, you wouldn't even walk into the wilderness because, you know, you'd leave a footprint or scuff your boot on some moss or something. Mm -hmm. Um, So they kind of say, well, no, that what we need to do is put in as much effort as possible 100% of the time and get as close as we can to perfection. But... um, you know, not feel bad if if we're not there. Because uh, you can always improve on it. It's a good one, I thought. If you've learned it once, you're covered for life. And that's pretty wrong because, as you know, they're kind of constantly making discoveries on, on how we're impacting the wilderness. And also that changes significantly between... Uh, areas, states, countries, regions. So you really can't just take one um, one rule and apply that uh, even to your own country because it can change so significantly. Yeah, I guess that's sort of like first aid stuff, you know, how it just changes all the time. Yeah, that's and... a good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, you, you've done your first aid course, but so, you do the refreshes because things, things change over it time. It always does. Uh, I kind of covered this next one in the last one where it's the same every, everywhere. That's obviously not the case between mm-hmm. their example of a desert ecosystem and a high alpine ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, impacts happen because people don't care. Uh, the way they've kind of addressed that is saying, well, sometimes, or for the most part, it's not because people don't care. It's because they're unaware uninformed or misinformed and so that's probably my favorite one actually 
is genuinely, I think most people getting out there do want to do the right thing. But if they're not starting with the right information, then essentially they're going to be further away from that perfect 10 that we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a while to, <clears throat> to, to really get your head around it. And, you know, I'm sure we've all done things in the early days that we look back on and go, geez, I didn't quite get that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think about uh, sometimes I've been caught off guard at certain places and haven't been able to mm. um, to do what I'd like to do and you kind of think back on those things and think, oh, geez, I really shouldn't have done that. Mm. But the fact that we're... None of us are perfect, mate. None of us. Yeah, I mean... Apart from we're, you. We're close. <laughs> we're close. No, no. Nowhere near it, mate. So... I think it's always, it's one of those things that you just keep at, do your best and um, I think encourage other people because you certainly can't expect new uh, people to walk into the environments we go into and automatically understand the impact of, let's say, for example, um, lathering themselves up with <clears throat> huge amounts of um, bug spray and and sunscreen and then jumping in a waterfall to go for a swim like that's mm -hmm. um it just uh, people wouldn't even consider that the repercussions or potential repercussions of that but uh yeah, yeah. no it does take a deeper understanding that sort of stuff eh? yeah i just thought it was and you don't have to be so critical because it's it's not something to be policed it's not something to kind of point fingers it's just something to understand i think as you as you sort of navigate, <clears throat> you know, the outdoors, how, how, yeah, how you impact on things. Yeah. And I think you can help, uh, you can kind of learn from each other. Like I've definitely seen the way you've done mm. things in the past and thought, oh, that's a pretty good way of doing that. Or I thought you were going to say the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm yeah. Sure. I'll never do that. <laughs> what is that guy doing? Him something about that. <laughs> Yes. Uh, <clears throat> all right, you ready for the next one? Yeah, yeah. All right. This was on the Red Bull website. I didn't even know that they ventured into the hiking sort of outdoors realm. But actually, after I found this, I found quite a few interesting articles. And they, um, yeah, they were pretty good. This article was called 10 Reasons Why Your Brain Loves a Hike, in brackets, according to science. Straight away, that told me that that was geared at there, the demographic that visit the Red Bull website. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know, dude, it's totally according to science. According to science. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, this... You what, are know. Their, what, are, what are the Red Bull scientists okay. have to say? No, no, they're, they're referencing real, actual scientific articles, and yeah. I did go through and um, check some of the facts, and uh, they've referenced things like um, Forbes magazine articles and stuff. So, yeah, it, it's all legit, as you would expect, by such a big uh, brand. Okay. Let me give you a few of them. I'm not going to give you all 10. Using a compass. Oh, they've also given them pretty um, crazy out there titles on the segments. Like, using a compass supercharges the brain. 
uh, which is just um, a kind of crazy, wacky, extreme way of saying that uh, losing your bearings while hiking can actually be beneficial for your brain. Neuroscientist Dr. Hannah Critchlow says... Basically, learning new skills for navigating your way around this new space and even the simple act of exploring helps your brain flourish again, boosts brain plasticity and flexibility and helps functional circuits to form in the brain. What do you reckon of that? No, I've been saying that for years. Yeah. I haven't ever heard you say it, but <laughs> fair enough. That does make sense. That's uh, pretty cool. And... The first thing I thought of when I read that was how um, how much smarter you guys must be, especially you and Josh, for me getting you lost all the time. Right, that's it. Yeah. You've been helping us Remember out. I was saying earlier, you'll be thanking me later mm-hmm. when you realize that it actually improves your brain plasticity. Because I noticed sometimes your plasticity is not... <laughs> As plasticity as it should be. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. yeah. You've been, you've been waiting for this moment thinking, to tell oh, me. Oh, boy, oh, boy. His brain could be more flexible. <laughs> I'll get him lost again. Yeah. All a- good. Out of your comfort zone, you do That's have it. to stretch your brain a bit, don't you? You do. Yeah. Uh, it also releases chemical... Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me, let me retract that. Trees release chemicals that supposedly reduce stress. Or oxygen. No, 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 not that. Um, And there's this thing called forest bathing in Japan, which is kind of just people going out. I've heard about that. Yeah, it's going out into the forest and just sitting or laying around and just, you know, breathing in the good air and just just chilling out. So, uh, and we all know how good that is just to get out. And I think that's one of the reasons why solo hiking is so popular. And I think why I enjoy it so much is Mm -hmm. you don't even have to have a conversation. And if you have a conversation with yourself, you're always going to be right, which is good. Now, so the theory, and this is just a theory, but uh, the... Phytonicides, phytonicides are organic compounds with antibacterial properties and they're released by trees and it may explain why sustained time uh, out in and around woodlands uh, can also be found to improve the body's immune system increase and increase energy levels. Pretty cool, huh? Mm. Mm. I'm not sold on that. How, how no, no. I... Well, that's the thing is it's just it's just a theory and that's um, what we all know. Like there's there's so much evidence that being in the wilderness and the outdoors improves your overall well-being. I might even have another article about that later on. Yeah. But it's basically you're breathing fresh air. You're yeah. usually moving your body to get there. Um, you, you, you're stimulating, you know, sight sound smell everything so there's just so much going on yeah yeah and this is just another level that oh yeah that they're, they're just not bringing. sure how that gets from the trees to us is it something in the air or something that 
No, you got to eat the bark. That's how you, <laughs> you get it. So. I was waiting for that. <laughs> Must be something like that. Uh, anyway, hopefully they can scientifically prove that one day. Yeah. Uh, another thing that they touched on was exercising in beautiful surroundings induces alpha waves. Right. So our same friendly doctor, Critchlow, says that exercising in beautiful surroundings would induce alpha waves, the slow frequency of brain waves that flow electrically across your brain. What they're particular good for, particularly good for is helping you think in a calm and maybe a creative way as well. There is some indication that if you have higher alpha waves, it helps combat depression. There you go, man. Hmm. Alpha waves. Now, that's by Dr. Critchlow, so that's that's not a theory. That's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just going to stand up a little bit and say, so I think alpha waves are during sleep, aren't they? So are you supposed to be out there in nature sleeping? No. No, I don't no. believe so. Okay. It's, they say specifically exercising Exercise. is would induce alpha waves. Mm. Again, I think being out there and just being stimulated by um, the beauty of nature would—it's got to do something I'm for you. I'm sold on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's, I'm not. I'm preaching to the converted here. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. Anyway, no, that's cool. I'll put the links to the articles. People read them yourselves. Discount them yourselves. Tell us we're wrong. All right. Oh, I don't even know if I wanted to. If I want to go there, I think I want to do that story. That's that's a downer. Let me jump to another one. <clears throat> oh. Ooh. What do you got for me, Tom? I was going to... I've got a juicy one. I have a juicy one. And then I promise I'll go to a, a more fun one after that. Do you want the juicy one? Yeah. Okay. Juicy because it has controversy. <clears throat> there is a plan for... There's a national park in Australia called Ben Boyd National Park. And they're planning on doing a light-to-light great walk. So a hiking trail that goes from one lighthouse down the coast to another. Now... It's in the state of New South Wales, uh, in Australia. Bushwalkers and campers in New South Wales could soon be charged as much as $125 a night to stay in parts of a national park they can currently access for next to nothing. Uh, next to nothing would be about $6.50 a night at this point in time. Now, it's interesting, Craig, because... That's the first line of the article. And as I read through the article, I started getting more and more kind of uh, unhappy with, with what I was reading. And then it kind of made me think about the uh, overland track that we've both done in Tasmania and how there's, uh, you can be, uh, you can pay a lot of money to be. Uh, like a top tier patron of that 
and you go to private huts and guided and, and private huts. Yeah, that's right. Yep, and yep. you use the same trail. Better experience, maybe. Sort well, of for people who can't carry a pack, okay, um, it's their only option, and that's why you see sixty-five-year-old people doing it that way because they can't drag a twenty-five-kilogram uh, pack around for for seven, six, seven days. It's all good, <clears throat> but you'll see as I go through this, the fundamental difference is. At the overland track, you can do it just as a member of the public and you can stay in public huts, which are very well maintained. Like we did. Like we did. Recently, yeah. For um, a very, 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 very small percentage of the cost of what you do in private huts. You can also do an in-between thing where you get guided, but you just, uh, you still stay in on the public hut uh, platforms. But yep. um, but you are guided, so <clears throat> it's kind of like a halfway thing, which obviously costs a bit more again. The difference is with what I'm getting from this article is that they plan to only do the expensive huts to attract, um, basically to make money out of a national park. And I know this is very Australia-based and specifically... Um, you know, uh, only really affecting locals, the, the locals to that area, or people like us that. Oh, mate. so you you won't be able to do it on the cheap anymore. You'll have uh, to. That's do where it. that's where they're heading, mate. Right. Yeah, that's exactly where they're heading. Okay. So, it's an eight million dollar state government plan to commercialise parts of Ben Boyd National Park. Where is that? I'm the not... far south coast. Far south of New, uh, New South, south Wales. Wales. Yep. Okay. So it could see casual visitors to. Certain parts of the reserve limited. Lighthouse to lighthouse, how far is it? Does it say? Oh, I did read it somewhere, mate. Sorry, I didn't, no, that's I didn't right. put that information. But is it like a one day? No, it, no, no, no. So like, you got to stay. It's like a, yeah, that's where there's cabins. I think they're working co- on like a three or four day hike. I believe. And it gets cold down there too, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, but get cold down there for sure. <clears throat> yep. <clears throat> so, bushwalking Victoria. That's a, Victoria's a state, another state in um, in Australia. Bushwalking Victoria President Colin McDonald said he's concerned about the plans for the light to light Great Walk, uh, which is intended to be, uh, in quotes, an Instagrammable glamping style experience, right. uh, complete with huts and compost toilets. Right. Whatever, here's a quote from Colin Whatever happened to the national parks are for all mantra. Yeah. He also goes on to say, the people who least need the infrastructure will be restricted, restricted, while the heavy resource users are welcomed in, complete with red carpet and champagne. Now that, that's when I started to kind of think, ah, oh, mate, you're just, just kind of having a bit of a go at um, people that can afford to to do it. I mean, I, I get what he's saying in that. <clears throat> You know that it's it's taken a lot away from, for example, what you and I consider a hike. Is the um, we get so much value out of the the actual journey itself and the and the the adversity that we face at times. Uh, but then, as I read on, I think that he's justified in in what he says because they also spoke to. Oh, sorry. Um, you 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 um you interrupted me before. Uh, what I was saying was, um, I know this is a very Australian story. The reason I'm raising it is because I think that you know this sort of thing happens around the world, and I just think it's interesting to get 
um, people's perspectives on uh, this sort of thing, no matter where it is, because uh, essentially if something works in one place, they're going to sort of start doing it around the world. So uh, Peter Windle is a former National Parks and Wildlife Services ranger, has questioned how the government department could manage it given that only private operators would be eligible to um, be members of that uh, area. He also goes on to say it seems to be selling off or leasing areas of national parks for the exclusive use of higher-paying guests while the local users will be excluded or restricted. Mm. And that's when I started to think, okay, this. I think that, that earlier guy Colin's comments are kind of warranted. Um, now, what, where it gets really suspect is if it's approved, um, it'll become the first commercial hut-to-hut walk in New South Wales. Um, now, as we've said, there's hut-to-hut walks in other states of uh, Australia, but not in New South Wales. But there is more, this is one of more than 100 projects that the government has identified with the aim of generating... I'm just not really talking very well tonight. I apologize. Uh, Sorry, it's one of 100 projects the government has identified with the aim of generating an income from national parks. I didn't like that. And also, um, when they tried to investigate on what those other, you know, 100 projects were, the, um, the government wouldn't disclose wouldn't disclose what they were yet. Hmm. That's pretty scary, mate, to think that they're basically trying to monetize um, monetize the national parks and and they're arguing that it's, it's bringing in income and everything like that and that money's going to go towards national parks. I kind of understand that, but only to a small degree because, I, again, I don't like the idea that you are restricting people that just want to get outside and enjoy the wilderness and as that guy said earlier the national parks are for everybody and they should be easy easily accessible and definitely not restricted to um just the average person who wants to go out or take their kids out for a hike or an overnight hike and Hmm. use the basic facilities and pay you know six bucks a night or whatever yeah thoughts i feel funny talking about it without fully understanding it. <clears throat> but do you think that what they're doing is perhaps leasing sections to a private company who's then going to, um, if you want to go there, you have to go through this company. So yep. therefore the government will make money from the, the private company's got to give them so much each year. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, which is great for revenue. And they will therefore upgrade the huts, you'd imagine, upgrade the facilities, well, make it, well, there's no, no guarantee no, no. on that. No, but the huts, yeah, they are going to put huts in. But the huts won't be accessible by you and I no, you have unless to go we pay $125 there. a night and, and go with them. Right. So that's the difference is, yeah, I love the idea of the money going back into awesome huts and everything, but then they're not making those same yeah. huts accessible to um, just the average person. So without studying it, you could you could be upset that there's not an available, just a, a camping platform near the huts that is on a, on a, on a very yes. sort of affordable budget option where exactly. you can just, as you say, rough it. 
uh, along the same. That's right, and they've the most certainly time. made it clear that that's not the intention. Really? They're really? not intending to have well, that is someone quite... can pay one hundred and twenty-five dollars and stay in the cabin, or someone can pay six dollars and stay on the platform. Because I think they don't want the people mm. <laughs> associating. Like, no, we don't want to. Uh, don't want to see those people around here. And that's <laughs> that's the risk of giving it to a private company who can name their price exactly for, for what they offer and. Yeah, that's risky. So, yeah, I can see why that's controversial. Um, we paid a lot of money to stay in Tasmania, but I have no problem with that because I know that every cent goes back into the preservation of that area and the uh, upkeep of those cabins. And the and, and uh, similarly, if you're saying it's a hundred and something dollars to do the walk, well, you know, that that's got to go towards maintaining these huts and stuff that... You, you, you may or may yeah. not want to use. But currently you're saying it's only, you know, let's say 10 bucks or 6 bucks or whatever to do it. Um, yeah, that's, that's a big change. Well, you think about that 125 a night. I think we paid, was it uh, a bit more or a bit less than that to do mm. unlimited amount of nights on our trip? Just to get the walking pass, that's right. Yeah, just to get the pass. You're allowed in and then you're allowed to spend however many nights you want yeah, getting to the destination. We were in the hut. Sometimes we are just in our tents or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah, I can see how that can be risky if you if it doesn't turn out the way everyone wants it to, you know. It'd be like taking the Appalachian Trail or a section of the Appalachian Trail yeah. in the US and saying... Hey, I know a lot of you guys um, use this and that's great and it's really cheap and affordable. But this particular section, um, you're only allowed to go through if you use these guides and you book the hunts and you uh, book the hunts, <laughs> book the huts and you pay $125 a night. Like that people will just lose it, man. All right. So maybe we should watch this space in terms of the, the New South Wales and their their national parks and what they do with some of these walks, eh? Yeah, because if that one gets through, as they say, they've got another 99 ideas up their sleeves that they're not releasing information on. Hmm. Sorry, didn't mean to get all political on you. <laughs> Let's go to something fun. Listen to this headline. 86 kilogram Mastiff Floyd says nope to hiking Utah Mountain. Has to be rescued. <laughs> <laughs> he put he pushed his button, did he? He, he tapped he out. Called for the chopper. Um, a dog owner in the United States got more than they bargained for when their 86 kilogram <laughs> mastiff decided he was done hiking and had to be rescued. <laughs> the three-year-old we've, we've dog. Oh, we've all been there with with um, hiking buddies as well. <laughs> Uh, the three-year-old dog named Floyd was rescued from the mountain trail in the state of Utah last week after refusing to walk back down. Now, what's really cool? I don't know if I've got, I don't think I've got this one um, ready to go. Sorry, Craig, but the, oh, there's a grumpy frog again. <clears throat> um, yeah, no, I don't have that one ready to go. There's a really cool video in that article of him on a stretcher and these two um, volunteers carrying him out on a stretcher and he's big man he's massive when you think about that that's heavier than me that's four kilos heavier than me 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, it's a dog. He's huge. But he's just sitting there on the stretcher, so calm, like some kind of a <laughs> prince or something. And the owners um, rang up, you know, the same kind of rescue, uh, search and rescue guys that you would if it was a person. And they said, look, I, the, the weather's kind of getting cold and turning a bit sour. And they said, I'm not sure if you're the right people to ring, but it's not a human in trouble. It's a dog and we don't want to leave our dog up here. And she said she was really impressed and and delighted that they said no problems. Like they acted as swiftly and uh really yeah for the dog i thought that was really cool because we, we all know how attached we get to mm. our pets and and really there's no way you're gonna carry an 86 kilogram anything out of there mm. and also if they had left it um you know who knows what predators would have come mm. through the night and or do you stay with it or so i thought that was pretty cool and good on those guys for Going in there and carrying the poor thing out. I'm sure that's not the only reason we're not allowed to take dogs on the trails around here. Yeah, probably. No. I think it's more about um, the wildlife. Yeah. Dogs go nuts. But that's 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 a big difference, eh? That it's like surreal for us to hear that story because we wouldn't be able to take. I mean, we can't take our dogs up in a wild horse, or um, sorry, even. No, um, you just can't take them anywhere. Anywhere in, in, in our area, but yeah. you can't. You can over there. Um, Obviously. Well, yeah, like a lot of places, it seems that you can. Uh, remember, uh, uh, Tanya, we she's a trail runner. We had her as a guest on the mm. on the podcast. She, would, I know she ran on private land a lot as well, trail running. But she does take her dog a lot of places, yeah. and. I see um, a lot of people hiking with the yeah. with dogs over there. I'm sure it probably differs state to state and all probably national park to national park, but it just seems like it's something they're a bit more relaxed on over there. Yeah, nice. Uh, over here, at least to my knowledge, as soon as it's uh, national park, it's uh, 100% off limits for, yeah. for dogs. And uh, I'd say that I'm sure there's a lot of stupid dog owners in the US as well, but... There's a lot of stupid dog owners over here. I used to live near a beach and I'd take my dog down there on the lead, which you're allowed to do, but people who get down there and just take the lead off their dogs and can't control them and they go nuts, like harassing people, running across towels, chasing other dogs, having fights and uh, it causes a lot of drama, man. Imagine if you threw um, some animals wild animals into the mix mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, i've got friends with children like that oh yeah no nah, just joking oh yeah, it's your kids <laughs> <laughs> just joking I'm not just, friends I'm just it's for, me i'm asking for a friend <laughs> uh or oh, where do we want to go next where do we want to go up or down <clears throat> okay how do we top that how do we top uh what's his name Floyd the dog. Floyd the dog. Let's go to Jimmy Ashby. Young Adventurer of the Year 2019. 
because he cycled around the world. And he's 18. Oh, wow. What were you doing when you were 18? Did you do anything that significant? Not at all, mate. Can you just show me that bike again? What sort shocking, of bike? isn't it? It's oh. not even really a... It's not even a mountain bike. It doesn't have any suspension at the back. Uh, doesn't look like it's got any shockies at the front. It's just, no, a, it's just a road bike. banged up road bike. There he is there. Looking wow. pretty happy. Yeah. So, um, Jeez. Young Adventure of the Year. Uh, he said, Jimmy said he had been preparing the trip for years. At 16, he cycled 900 kilometers solo down the coast of Tasmania. And straight after finishing year 12, which is the final year of uh, schooling in Australia, the senior year, he spent three weeks riding solo on the South Island of New Zealand. Nice. Again, at 16, I would I had never even spent a night alone or, or without my parents or, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a... Yeah, it's massive. A, a big commitment, Jesus. It's a huge commitment. So he spent, um, he went west to east around the world uh, over 393 days. I'll do the maths for you. That's over a year. And he covered um, uh, 39,000 kilometers. 39,000 kilometers. Let me drop that into Google. Um, <clears throat> Is this an Australian accomplishment or global uh, award? Oh, I think it's Australian Geographic. Let me just get to that after. That's 24,000 miles. 24,000 miles. He rode his bike. Yeah, that was so a... Young Adventure. Australian of, Geographic. A, but is it an Australian Young Adventure, like the best in Australia or best in the world? Young like, Adventure of the Year 2019. Oh, geez, oh I'm sorry. I'm asking the tough questions here. Doesn't kind of say... I, I understand what you're saying. Is this a worldwide... Um, Qualifying. Yeah, like could anybody? I'm just so because he is he from Australia. Or? Yeah, he is, which makes me think Tasmania, that New Zealand. Kind of makes me think that it's an Australian award. Perth, Perth, to Adelaide, and stuff. It says there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Young, yeah, adventure. That's epic. You know. Oh, wow, listen to this. This is where these things get really um, crazy. Jimmy faced countless challenges, mechanical problems, harsh weather, even global terrorism. Six weeks before Jimmy cycled the road on the Afghan border, four cyclists were killed in an act of terror by Islamic State. When Jimmy arrived at the location and found a memorial for them, it instantly broke him the fear that it could have been him but also the fear that he was putting what he was putting his friends and family through yeah 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 interesting uh 
I'm sure he's got some cool stories. Maybe we need to hear him one day. Yeah. Good on you, mate. Anyway, congratulations. What an effort. He's done more than uh, people do in a lifetime, and and he's done it um, mm, so young. at 18. Oh, I kind of feel real useless when I yeah. read about people like that. Uh, let's lift it up a bit. His, his uh, um, success has made me down. That does happen. That happens to me a lot. Daily. See my kids doing things. I can't even do that now. All right, here's a good here's a good one for you. It's, it's a bit of lighthearted. Have you heard of the Onion before? Mm-hmm. It's 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 a well, it's essentially just a piss take. It's just a piss take um, website. Yeah. Probably very similar to the Batuta Advocate, which is an Australian um, website slash Facebook page of a, well, I was going to say a fictitious location, but it's not. It's a real town, but it kind of is a ghost town, but they write articles daily about all the amazing things happening around this town called Batuta. Anyway, that's that's something else you can Google yourself, but let me read this to you. It's actually, it's actually pretty cool. And... It's obviously tongue in cheek, but what I love about it is is that it kind of does hit the mark for <laughs> you'll see what I mean. Are you ready for it? <clears throat> mm. Here's the title. A woman's solo hiking trip shockingly doesn't have anything to do with her inner journey or anything. <laughs> <laughs> There's a picture of some um, you know. 30-something 30, 30 lady hiking. <clears throat> Yosemite Village, California. That's CA, California. Hope that's right. Friends over there. Tell me if I'm wrong. Confusing her friends and colleagues as to what could possibly drive her to undertake such an expedition. Sources confirmed Friday that aspiring explorer Gillian Green's solo hike through Yosemite National Park has evidently nothing to do with soul-searching an inner journey, or any other form of self-discovery. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally, I assumed she was attempting to deal with a catastrophic event, loss of a parent, or devastating breakup, or something similar. But no, Gillian is really just using her vacation time to be out in nature, just walking for the sake of walking, <laughs> I guess, says Green's co-worker, Demery Jacobs, who noted... The baffling 10-day trip requires Green to carry all of her own gear and food, sleep under the stars in all manner of weather, and be completely cut off from technology, while in no way helping her come to terms with the true self, making peace with her demons, (laughs) or ease her transition in a new chapter of her life. What a waste of time. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) She's not graduating from anything, trying to reconnect with her inner child, attempting to understand the soul of her distant but nature-loving father, exploring an external wilderness in order to comprehend an inner universe, assuring her cultural guilt over land stolen from indigenous people, or trying to kick heroin. So we can't think of any reason she'd want to explore the outdoors. We're all pretty freaked out. (laughs) At press time, Green's family and friends expressed regret over not staging an intervention immediately after she revealed her desire to just enjoy the fresh air, silence, and sunsets. That's good, isn't it? That's perfect, yeah. That that actually made me laugh, that one. I thought that was very good. 
All right, we've gone up. Oh, my computer's spazzing out. I'll have a glass of water. How are you enjoying this so far? <laughs> this is good, man. I wasn't sure what to expect when you said, hey, I've, I've got all this stuff. I just want to just go through. But <laughs> there's that frog again. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I click back through my tabs, you see the grumpy, grumpy frog. He's, uh, he's it's, great. It's, it's all good. I won't get him printed on a T-shirt. All right, where will I go to yet? Yet? Next. Oh, that's the one I just read. That was great. Ooh. I've got to finish on a positive, remember? Good news is I've only got positives left because I'm not going to do the story about the giraffe that ran into the cars look that one up yourself <laughs> oh, no <laughs> i'm afraid to yeah, even encourage you at all on that no one. don't encourage me because the thing is i don't we've been laughing about stuff and i don't want to go and read that one and accidentally laugh yeah right nobody was hurt except for the giraffe which uh, is unfortunate ouch. um uh, okay what do we do first? Mm. All right. How a 13-year-old saved his dad's life. Sound good? Yeah. <clears throat> Charlie Finlayson was on the ultimate climbing adventure with his dad, David, when a loose boulder forced him to make a daunting rescue. This is one of those things where, again, you think back to when I was 13 and how essentially useless I was. And then you think about this situation. So this is David, the father, talking. I'd been taking Charlie into the backcountry since he was a baby. And when he was 13, we planned a trip to these granite towers about 13 miles into Frank Church, River of No Return Wilderness, in good old Idaho. A week in, uh, we were about a thousand feet up a tower. There was a loose rock, so I anchored Charlie off to a tree to belay me while I did some root finding. Uh, That's when I heard the crack. Charlie's version of events is I didn't see the boulder hit him, but I saw a rock flake that he was standing on come off the wall. Um, back to the father, my left arm was above my head and the boulder hit it. The boulder snapped it, crushed my helmet, broke my back and my left leg. I ended up 40 feet below Charlie, still hanging off this cliff. Uh, Charlie then says, I couldn't see him because there was this bush in the way. So I didn't know if he was alive. He was silent for like five minutes, five minutes. I kept shouting and asking if he could hear me. Think about that, how long five minutes is normally and think about how long five minutes is when you've just seen your dad get smashed by a boulder and go down into some bushes. Five minutes would be like half an hour. Mm, For sure. Um, So then his dad, David, says, I woke up and heard Charlie yelling. I told him I was okay but bleeding and I needed the first aid kit. He lowered it down and then rappelled down to me. Uh, I repelled me down another 20 feet to a ledge. Uh, 
where he helped me get bandaged. Uh, we were so far up the wall, I thought I might bleed out before we got down. Um, but I just couldn't say, hey, I might not make it. I told him that if I passed out, he should tie me off to the wall and go. Uh, it took us till nightfall to reach the bottom. Um, this is Charlie, the, the son says. There was one point where I knew he was delirious because he said, okay, you can scramble from here. It looks pretty flat. And we were still 100 feet up. <laughs> <laughs> um, glad Charlie had his wits about him. Oh, that would have been horrible. Oh, man. It's, it's, it's full on. Charlie went to our camp in the dark to get sleeping bags, water and food. Um, so obviously he took those things back to the bottom of the cliffs. Uh, we stayed up all night talking. He'd doze off and then pop up to make sure I was awake. At first light, he got moving very slowly back to camp. Many times I said, Charlie, I can't go any further. He'd say, let me help you make it another inch. Um, at camp, I told him he had to go and get help. That's when Charlie said, no, I'm not going out by myself. Uh, David then goes on to say, that was emotional. I wasn't too worried about him getting lost, but there might not be anybody at the trailhead. The next morning he was ready and he said, I guess I better get going. He gave me a big hug and left. Well, when I got to that part of the story, I was just thinking of my own sons and uh, yeah. having to leave me in such a bad state, like such a severely uh, damaged state, and then just walk out mm. by themselves. I hit the, he's probably never solo hiked or anything. And once you get out there, even when things are going great, your brain can kind of do weird things and you can start, you know, talking yourself in and out of things. Mm. Um Charlie, the young fellow, goes on to say, about three miles from camp, I ran into a couple of hikers who told me there was a big group behind them. I asked them to check on my dad, so I keep going. Uh, and at first, I didn't see anyone else, so I blew my whistle. This guy ran up to me, and then we went to get a ranger. That's when I knew my dad was going to make it. How cool is that? Um, yeah, so dad's... Um, so in November, he was in his final round of surgery, still recovering. Um, but we did an all-day climb a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. Isn't that cool? That's scary, man. I know. Just, <clears throat> I think um, that kind of demonstrates to me that he's done something right in, in raising his son, um, he's, he's kind of, he's not prepared him for that, but he's hes just taken him outside so much that he's got him comfortable in that environment so that, you know, Charlie didn't freak out. And um, do you understand what I mean? Like he's exposed him to that type of environment so much that at least that in itself wasn't um, really scary. Yeah, he could 
he could handle himself in that environment, but Jeezy would have been freaking out. He, oh, yeah, yeah. He did well emotionally. Oh, Jeez, he did real crazy. well, you know. I, I just, that like, like I said, that bit where he says he, he says goodbye and gave him a hug, I would have been a mess. I, would have, I don't think I'd be able to... Um, <clears throat> To sort of keep keep the tears back or anything while I'm saying goodbye to my son. Um, no, stories like that freak me out. I mean, I, that takes me straight to Paul Pritchard on the totem pole. Now he hurt himself yeah, at that time. Yeah, imagine um, imagine if uh, it it was with his with a 13 year old son and oh, that's and his son has to witness that number one and then uh, literally leave because I think that instinctively you. You, instinctively you want to stay with the injured person, right? And you just want to stay there and make sure they're eating and they got water and they're comfortable, but that's not getting help, is it? That's just delaying um, hospital help. So mm. good on them for, I think they did everything really well by the sounds of it. Yeah. Just every step of the way they made a very smart decision and really great to hear of such a good outcome for them. Yeah, glad it went all right. Jeez. Yeah, it's only a short article. Like that was the basically the whole article I just read to you then, but it's still a really interesting story. Hmm. This one's. Oh, should I finish on that one? I only really got two to go. I got a few bonus ones, but um, just kind of up my up my oh. <laughs> This one here, man. Oh, I don't really want to waste too much time on this, but the title of this is I'm not I'm not sounding sarcastic or laughing because this this guy's died and other people have. It's just so unbelievable. The title of this article is Man Who Died in Yellowstone Fall was hunting for treasure, a millionaire says he buried. And it turns out, like, there's video of this guy. Uh, he's got a really interesting name. Where is it? I'm sure people in the U.S. would have <clears throat> be familiar with this. Where's his name? Oh, he's got a real weird name, the, uh, the millionaire. Forrest Fenn. <laughs> so, <sighs> Forrest Fenn said that he has a quite literally a wooden um uh like chest of gold and jewels because he's an antiques dealer and he supposedly they're worth $200 and he stashed them at an elevation above 5000 feet somewhere between Santa Fe and the Canadian border he wrote a poem in his 2010 memoir which offers Clues on how to find the elusive bounty. Now, that's him there. There's a video of him saying <laughs> that it's out there and, oh, well, you know, if someone finds it, they can have it. Really? But I don't know. When I watched the video, first thing I thought was, I don't even know if this guy's all there, like, he speaks very well, but there's just something about, and and like there's no there's no evidence whatsoever that it actually exists. It even says here perhaps it's a big joke. Um, but it's drawn 
thousands of people to scour the hills. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over over years and years and years. Well, obviously since uh, I think 2010 when he released the clues. Maybe some of our listeners have been out looking for it. Maybe they have. <laughs> I mean, maybe they, even if they haven't specifically gone out to look for it, maybe they've been in the area hiking and thought, <laughs> oh, what if we find that thing? Cool. Um, so, yeah, more recently... Um, this guy, uh, yeah, he, he died, and then in in 2016, a guy died. Um, six months later, a guy died. Um, uh, which one was this? Uh, last year, and then there was a 31 year old that summer as well. So people are going up and down these mountains. Now, what it sounds like to me as well is that this is attracting people who prob- might not be outdoors people. So just average people are thinking, there's treasure out there, I'm mm. going to get into it. And they're not skilled hikers or climbers or potentially they can't, um, you know, pick they're not coming pick back. danger like somebody who's who's out there more often and... Pretty crazy story, eh? Yeah. It's just a weird one. I thought it was a complete joke and I read the article and um, watched the video. He claims his treasure chest contains 256 gold coins, ancient Chinese jade figurines, rubies, emeralds, diamonds, hundreds of gold nuggets, some as large as chicken eggs. Sure, sure. Uh, that's what I'm thinking, man. Like when you start listing that stuff in out like that, it sounds more and more and more. Um, or it's a really great way for him to become a famous immortal for doing it. Yeah, if it's real. and 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 busy in However, his must he not feel, in his antiques business. Must he not feel a little guilty that people He's are cl- dying? He says in the video, "I don't feel any guilt." Like I told people, it's out there; they can go get it. It's theirs if they find it for free. But I don't feel any guilt. And he also wow. said, um, one of his motives in hiding it, he would feel guilty if it was fake. If it was just made up, don't you think? Oh, well, I don't know if he's, who knows what state he's in. That's crazy. Yeah, like you'd hope that it's, you hope that in 10 years time, 20 years time, someone finds it and we all come back and say, Ah. well, yeah, you are directly (laughs) responsible for people dying, but at the same time, you didn't outright lie. One of his motives in hiding it, as he told um, an ABC affiliate in 2015, was to get kids off the couch and away from the game machine. (laughs) To their death. (laughs) But the thing is, the kids aren't out there doing it. The people that are dying are um, 54-year-olds. And what was the other one? Um, Oh, 31-year-old, I guess that's a young... So he, he came out publicly and announced it. Well, it's sort of like 2015. Is that when he, he said to have... No, it was earlier than that. Earlier it was 20, than that. 2010. 2010, he said to have... Well, that's when his poem came out. Poem came out. Oh, it's just just a strange one. I don't know. I, I wasn't even going to... That was one of my bonus ones. It, wow. It's, it's I, just, I feel like we should have heard about this before. That's Yeah, crazy. me too. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, he's, but he just says weird things like, 
if someone drowns in the swimming pool, we shouldn't drain the pool. We should teach people to swim. Oh, interesting, eh? Mm. Oh, that one's got it all, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that one's a real. That that's like a movie. That yeah. That's just so weird. Wow. Uh, that's a weird one. Some of these stories are definitely going to give me nightmares, man. I don't know why, but they're going to haunt me. <laughs> um, but thanks, man. Thanks yeah, that's for... a that's a crazy one. That one. Thanks. Oh, is it frog again? Um, all right. Okay, well, let's go back to a feel good one. All right. Meet Teresa Gergen, queen of the 13ers. You know what a 13er is, don't you, Craig? Oh, there's a number of mountains. Where are they? Which part of the world? Uh, US, yeah. Lyle 48. Yeah, US. Um, a 13er is a 13,000 foot or more um, peak, I believe. And um, Oh, anywhere in the world. Well, no, it's most. It seems to be mostly a US thing. There's these thirteen, yeah, I've heard. Yeah, because there's, I think there's fourteen as well. I've heard. Um, okay. Yeah, it's certainly not something I'm able to achieve. But go on. Yeah. Okay. So, she became the first person, not the first woman, just to be clear, the first person. To summit all 846 thirteeners in the lower 48 and Hawaii. She's 55 and on Labor Day weekend, uh, as the article goes, when everyone else is drinking beers and having barbecues, she was clinging to a jagged granite face 13,553 feet above sea level. Uh, crossing the peak that would make her the first person in history to summit all 846 13ers. Wow. That's that just epic. Think about... I, just think about how long it would take to just do 846 hikes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Even if you were going every weekend, that's years and years right? Yeah. Yep. But as she says in an article, her trips were between two to 10 days. Uh, in this particular case, I think she had to stay a night um, halfway up and then, you know, come back down the next day. So there's a couple of days involved in this trip, but hmm. yeah, some of them were as long as 10 days. And I just thought that's a heck of an achievement. That's a heck of an achievement for anybody of any age whatsoever. Yeah, so brave. And um, Teresa does it at age, what did I say, 55. Oh, that's great. I hope I'm climbing mountains when I'm 50. Actually, I don't hope I'm climbing mountains. I hope I'm walking up hiking trails. (laughs) Yeah. I don't need to be hanging off granite. Yeah, that's extreme. Faces. uh, Incredible. But it's obviously what she loves, man. And yeah, yeah. She's, she's nailed it. Um, <clears throat> That's good. Yeah. She she definitely is into climbing. There's a really cool thing about the last peak that she climbs. Because it's named after the... There's apparently a series of peaks. Um, 
called Palisade Crest, a series of 12 stone pinnacles named after characters in J.R.R. Tolkien's mm. Lord of the Rings series. Um, and the last one that she did was Gandalf Peak, <laughs> cool. which is that one she was just talking about then. Awesome. Good. Feel good. Feel good. Motivated. All right. I'm going to bring it on home. Pretty sure I'm bringing it on home with another. This is the last one. Okay. Another Australian Geographic Society's Conservationist of the Year Award. This article came out at the same time as the... uh, or was it Young Adventurer of the Year? Obviously, because mm. we're nearing the end of the year. Uh, all these awards are getting dealt. This is an interesting one. A guy called Albert Wigan won this award this year in 2019. Now, he's 38 years old and he's a Bari Kija Nyal Nyal man, which is uh, obviously the tribe that he's from, indigenous man. Uh, and he's also a ranger from Dampier Peninsula in Western Australia. If you're looking at a map of Australia, uh, look at the very, very top far left. And that's the crazy region uh, where he hangs out. He won the award because he's been raising awareness about a region called the Kimberleys. You'd be familiar with that, Craig? Yep, for sure. Uh, and also his opposition to a gas project that was uh, originally targeted for that area. And I watched one of his TED Talks, so afterwards I I didn't um, realise he'd done that until I was listening to a radio segment in the article. And his father actually introduced a guy called Malcolm Douglas, who, Craig, you'll be familiar mm. with. So he introduced this famous uh, TV personality, would you call him? Kind of like a, his show was um, basically uh, exploring the Australian outback and remote areas uh, and basically showing the beauty and the the treasures and the fragility and all that stuff. Would you you say that's a pretty good... Yeah, uh, some yeah adventure, great adventure, adventure like yeah. cruising around in a four wheel drive, and they run into you know um, cool animals and stuff. Not literally while they're in the four wheel drive, <laughs> just uh, they would observe animals, uh, all sorts of stuff. Anyway, <clears throat> in the late sixties, this guy's father introduced Malcolm Douglas to to the region of the Kimberleys, taught him everything about it. And that started Malcolm Douglas to basically on a path of showing the rest of Australia what a beauty uh, the Kimberleys are and basically getting it put on the map. And then once you start to build uh, an interest in a place, it's it's much more easy to, to protect its physical beauty. And there's something really interesting that Albert, the winner of this award, says in his TED Talk, Oh, sorry, not in the TED Talk, in the radio interview, uh, when he was referring to his dad's relationship with Malcolm Douglas, he said that he understands that he has to find alternative ways to move into the future. And what he's talking about there is using different 
uh, ways of communicating with Australia and the world and using different mediums to communicate and get their messages across. And I thought that was a really good point because I think that if you do want to communicate with the rest of Australia and the rest of the world, you do need to communicate with them on platforms uh, that they're frequenting. And so I thought that was, I think that's what makes him this bit of a visionary and everything for for the Indigenous people is the way that he's able to cross into that modern media and the way that he's um, he's able to do things like these these TED Talks. Um, now, I don't want to sound disrespectful with my next comment, but it's really interesting to hear him. Uh, he opens his TED Talk with uh, in... in um, uh, the indigenous language he he um thanks he says it's tradition to whenever you enter into another um area so another tribe's area you thank them uh for allowing you to be there and their ancestors and stuff like that and, and he does that in the, in the original language and it sounds absolutely fantastic and then he bang just flawlessly switches into to um english and you can tell that he's He's, uh, you know, very well educated. knows really knows what he's talking about, and he's getting a message across, man. And and I was, um, you know, I was listening. Mm. I thought it was cool, and I think that, yeah, he was uh, a worthy winner of that award. And I think he's on the right track to trying to, as he puts it, unite uh, science with. Um, you know, Aboriginal Indigenous culture mm. to create a more sustainable um, environment for us long term. Not necessarily just in Australia either, but something that he'd like to see uh, replicated throughout the world because they've been here for literally thousands and thousands, and thousands of years. All right. Yeah. So he's coming forward and getting out there. Yeah really talking about some of their ways of respecting the land and uh, the environment, which I'm sure we've got a lot to learn. Mate, we, you know, we, we come up with news all the time on this show, but we don't necessarily talk about environmental issues. Not in this podcast, but I think we will at one point. Yeah, sometimes we kind of touch on it. Um, it's 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 one of those things, and, and you, you actually alluded to it earlier in one of the first... Uh, topics I brought up about that uh, that New South Wales area opened for um, you know those uh, cabin to cabin hikes. Mm. You actually said that it's hard to talk about it without knowing everything about it, and I think that's uh, you see if I get the the weight of Floyd the dog wrong, if I, he's eighty six kilogram mastiff. If I said, oh, it's something like an 80-kilogram Mastiff and his name's Frank, if I get that wrong, people aren't any worse off, you know what I mean? And people aren't going to try and slay us in comments or yeah, yeah, yeah. say that we've got something wrong and that we're miseducating people because it's not such a big deal. Yeah. But once you start moving into that territory of... Uh, environmental and, and political stuff, you really are mm. moving into a territory where 
you probably don't just want to read one article out to listeners. You probably want to know what you're talking about. And oh, yeah. It's We've... so far from from my knowledge base. It's it's not funny. And yeah. um, it's just good to know that there's people out there bridging the gap between these cultures. And hmm. that's kind of what I picked up out of the story. Oh, cool. Yeah, we've got strong feelings about the environment and I'm sure that it's a complex debate that um, you you have to be very careful how you approach it because everyone's, you know, have, have everyone that has a lot to say about it. Yeah. Um, but for us, it would be an interesting topic to get into, you know, some of the changes that we've seen in the environment and some of the political issues going around that at the moment. But mm. uh, obviously this... This um, award's given to someone who's stood up and made making a bit of a difference and a bit of a has a has a strong stance on it. So yeah, he he uh, he's also um, uh, I th- I'm not sure if his position was a director, but he did make a film um, about you know protecting that region. Yeah, it's a special and, place. Uh, you know that again. He's he's engaged. A, a medium which is is rarely used, uh, at least by, um, or it would seem. That, I guess we're just so used to using it. I've worked in advertising agencies for years, and film, TV, radio, all that stuff is just. If you want to get your message across, you just jump straight to that. You just jump straight to that, and it just seems second nature. Um, but this stuff is is more delicate, and I would say a hundred times more important. Mm. Uh, so it's good to see them entering into that space and uh, doing things like TED Talks and doing things like um, films. That's good stuff. Yeah, nice. Yeah, he seemed like a top bloke as well. I'd, I'd love to hang out and go for a few hikes with him. Yeah, cool. All right. That's it. Longest news session <laughs> in the world. I hope that you got something out of it and you got plenty of stuff to go now and click through all my links in the show notes and read for yourself or do a, you know, watch, watch the little videos I've been talking about, extend your knowledge on anything you want to. Um, part of the reason we did this tonight was a lot of people write in as well and say, Oh, I love the, uh, love the new stuff, love the banter, love the, the interesting weird things that you you pick out and so yeah i guess we just extended that tonight and hopefully it it uh gave you a few laughs or a few insights yeah mate lots of little secrets there that you've been keeping from me but i'm glad to be yeah shared yeah all the secrets are out now mate the for the world and um as i say i think some of those are actually yeah going to stick with me <laughs> in a good or a bad way, a little bit of both. <laughs> a little bit of both. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be thinking about, about this one. <laughs> 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 yeah, and that 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 poor thirteen-year-old kid, and yeah, with his dad. And I've, yeah, so I see. I yeah, that that did slightly disturb me when I read it, but at the same time, I just thought it became such a positive story, and yeah. and um. He'd just be so proud forever, his father, and that that's what it's all about. He set his son up for that, so, hmm. yeah. Cool. 
Yeah, no, that was good. Thanks Thank you, that. everybody, for for sitting through that. Do appreciate it. Uh, if all goes well, we'll be in good health, and Claire will be in good health in the coming weeks, and we'll be able to get that exclusive scoop on uh, Claire's journey into the wilderness. Thank you very much. Have a fantastic day or night, wherever you are or whatever you're doing. See ya. See you guys. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, we'd really appreciate your ratings and comments if you can spare the time. If you'd like to know more about Hike or Die TV and keep track of our adventures around Australia, make sure you drop by hikeordie.com. That's where you'll find all the information you'll need to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or Pinterest. As always, we appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.